Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Ganesh Shankar, co-founder and CEO of uh, Responsive. businesses are started by founders who are facing a personal problem and realize that solving the problem is a large business opportunity. Something similar happened with Ganesh Shankar, who was working as a product manager in an American B2B SaaS company in 2015. He realized that he spent a lot of time in responding to RFPs or requests for proposals, which is the standard way in which large companies procure software. He was tired of all that non-productive effort and when he could not find a solution to automate it, he decided to build the solution and thus RFPIO was born. Up to today, RFPIO is now rebranded as Responsive.io and is used by a large number of Fortune 500 companies and is a full-stack solution to manage all your communication with external shareholders. The company is profitable and is on track to hit an ARR of $100 million. Stay tuned for some amazing insights from Ganesh on building, selling and pricing a B2B product and building an agile and responsive organization. And please do subscribe to Founder Thesis on YouTube or any audio streaming platform. So, uh, to be honest, we don't have any, you know, uh, like a cool uh, garage story, like typical startup garages or, or like, you know, Apple or Google or even like a, a dorm room story like bunch of friends in the same in a hostel or dorm room like Facebook or Snapchat. Nothing nothing like that sort. You know, it is truly a problem that we encounter day in and day out. So for a few, like I said, um, I was a product manager in, at Xtero. What happened is uh, being a product manager and that company back then, um, we were about 250 employees, I believe. Uh, back then I, I moved to the US. Uh, so what happened is um, um, we didn't have a very dedicated, uh, um, you know, um, sales engineering team. So as a product manager, um, I uh, became a hybrid sales engineer. Whenever the sales team is working on a deal, they will pull me in. Hey Ganesh, can you help us setting up the demo? And as part of that process, they also help you know ask me to respond to RFPs and you know that is the time and this is I'm talking about 2011 or, or, or 13 14 time frame and a lot of adoption towards cloud so the security becoming more and more so there are a lot of security questions companies are asking too so I have to respond to security but um, if I, I like I said I was there for almost uh, nine years um, you know all not like in the product role Never once in my nine years of career, um, my manager called me and said, hey, you did a fantastic RFP. Let alone that, you know, not even a word RFP uh, mentioned in my job description. Never. And, right, and, you know, and, uh, still, I just want to quickly clarify, RFP means requests for proposal, which is the way a large corporate buys a solution or a service is they first float a document stating these are our needs and these are the things we want to understand from our vendors and, and so so for a vendor that is an rfp right correct that's an rfp in india people call it as tender sometimes it, it's very similar to tender and europe people call it as bid you know basically you, you you as a vendor or a contractor or a solution provider trying to win a project or on a, or you're trying to sell your product you need to, especially when you're working with a large, uh, you know, uh, 
corporations, they will be issuing these tenders so that you can respond or issuing these RFPs, you have to respond to those questions. It's like basically a questionnaire asking for many parts of your organization from financials, from your product, your roadmap, your technology, your, your um, you know, your people, everything they will ask, you know, so you have to, you know, respond to that. So when you, that's the point, when uh, a text hero, uh, when the RFP hits, it typically hits the inbox of a sales rep. Like I say, it touches every part of the organization. The sales rep can only probably handle maximum about the company and licensing and pricing. They can handle it when it comes to roadmap or when it comes to technology, when it comes to security, when it comes to legal, they rely on what they call the subject matter expert. Who are the subject matter expert for that? So I was a subject matter expert for responding to product related questions and the roadmap related questions that product manager I had access to that information and it's all in my in my uh, KPI similarly uh, you know at, uh, uh, we two of my other colleagues uh, Sundar and Shankar was also subject matter expert Sundar was the subject matter expert for uh, technology and uh, security and Shankar was a subject matter expert for implementation and training so what happened is we all shared this common theme of responding to our people, but it is a painful process. We have to always go through, like I said, I, you know, um, it was never called out in my job description, but I estimated a close to about 30 to 35 percentage of my time was spent on sales support activities, like filling out our fees, you know, filling out security questionnaires, getting the demo site ready. That was what happened. Um, so to answer your question, so that's, actually what happened is we were looking for a solution to see if we can solve the problem ourselves you know not a startup idea or anything to to minimize the 35 percent because most often what happens is one sales rep will come and say hey Ganesh we got an RFP from XYZ client can you please help me two days later another sales rep will come and say hey we have a client ABC they're asking for you know because our product is the same we are trying to sell it to multiple customers the multiple customers are asking. I, I can say, hey, this is the same question I answered two days before to Mr. John Doe. Uh, Ms. Jane, why are you asking? So they would say, no, 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 you are the expert. You tell us what, even if it is copy and paste from that XYZ RFP to ABC RFP, you do it rather than me doing it. So it's a lot of redundant duplicative work and not, of a, lot, not a lot of high, you know, uh, impact, right? You know, High impact is when you solve you know, a problem and you, you provide a new information, new message that helps you with a deal. Uh, that is there, but you know, most often you know, about the product, oh, we always use the same thing about your technology. So we are not going to change the technology from one customer to another customer. It's this copy and paste we have to do. So we, we figured this, you know, when I say we, these are all three of us were having the same problem, Sundar and Shankar, but in their respective areas. So uh, um, uh, we looked into the market to see if there is any technology out there to help us streamline this process so that you know we can basically what I was looking for is, is a database, put all the content that I'm repeating so and give the database access to someone so that the sales reps or, or others who are interacting with the customer can just leverage and if they feel like it's outdated, they can come to it. So you know, we couldn't find any technology out there. So you know, uh, uh, that uh, kind of prompted our interest into look into that space a little more deeper. And uh, like I said, that company that we worked for for uh, is 250 employees. What we came back is 
the products that are solutions that were available back in 2015 time frame didn't quite connect the dots for even for a 250 employee company so we can only imagine how complex will it be for enterprise companies uh, it turned out to be true actually uh, after eight years um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that so that is when we decided to dig deeper into that space and uh, you know our interest became more and more as we come to know about the space so finally we ended up you know deciding to take the reins on our own hand um, the rest is history today we, we our eight years past that started in 2015 uh, came to uh, market in 2016 uh, you know by then we also partnered with one other uh, key person Manish Bafna uh, in India so basically yeah, Manish helped us set up an India team so me Shankar and Sundar formulated this idea and pitched and you know started the company and then we brought in Manish uh, as a core team member to to work on developing a product. So in this is all in uh, late 2015. Uh, did you raise funds before your 2016 launch or did you raise funds after the launch? Oh, great question. Yeah, None of us are serial entrepreneurs. I, we were living on paycheck to paycheck, uh, uh, all, all three of us. And so, um, we, because of our, uh, you know, uh, so, so a couple of investors came in forward uh, because they worked with us in the past. Uh, you know, um, they said, "Hey, uh, if you guys, are, I, I actually um, you know, had a coffee meeting and was, I didn't had any product. It was just a PowerPoint, uh, you know, idea. So um, I think we were fortunate enough to uh, give a clear vision." back then so uh, but uh, the investors were all the i shouldn't say investors investors came the, the plural came in maybe a month or two later but the one investor who had a strong conviction okay this team especially knowing the team especially knowing the area he understood that space and he said i'll be open to sub support this uh, again and at that time we didn't know how much uh, um, he would invest but what ended up happening is he he started with ten thousand dollar check he said okay We'll give you, I'll give you $10,000. He's not a professional, so he's a high net worth individual who has uh, made some money in his career. So he said, okay, I'll give you guys some, some you know, but he's, uh, I, looking back, um, uh, it's very smart in, a, in his way because he had a different, at different milestones. He kind of, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, invested more, uh, but also he was very clear, if you do this, milestone i will be able to invest more so i think uh, you, you know that the the first check was ten thousand dollars by end of the you know second year or two and a half years he invested about half a million dollars at different milestones wow. um, yeah so uh, uh I, but we at no point we know how much appetite he had to invest. so it was but the good news is we were able to achieve certain milestones what he was anticipating be it me quitting the job, uh, be it, uh, be it uh, you know, we, we have a product that can be sellable, not prototype. We have a, a customer who signs up at every different stages that, you know, what's happening. So before the launch, uh, we've, uh, we've raised, uh, and, you know, uh, just after he started investing, there was another investor um, who also came in and joined us. So uh, we had uh, raised a couple of hundred dollars initially to to launch the product and turned of course the, the three of us 
uh, without savings, we, we we chimed in as well. So that's kind of how uh, it all started. And what did you build? You explained the problem to me uh, of repetitive work and a lot of it was like mind-numbing, non-intellectual work where you were largely copying and pasting stuff and all that. So what did you build to solve this? Great question. So our V1, version one of our, you know, back then we used to be called as, you know, the company started with a name called RFPIO. Request for proposal into an output. So it was so, so simple and easy. People can immediately connect. So that's one of the advantages we have. But what we did is uh, essentially, um, actually, if you take uh, be it tender or be it bid or be it an RFP, there are two sides of the spectrum, right? Uh, somebody is trying to buy something. Somebody is trying to sell something. So trying to meet you know, the medium in which is, is what they're sharing that information is uh, uh, um, RFP. So a lot of times the company who's trying to buy something will send out the questionnaire in many different shapes and form. You know, typically Excel document, just a list of questions or a Word document or a PDF document. Um, so then it goes to the sales rep in, in our, from on the vendor side who's trying to sell something. The sales rep looks at the Excel document or Word document. He looks at the 300 questions or 500 questions so he can understand those pricing. Uh, is it wow. really like 300 to 500 questions? Is that, like, is that a realistic number? Oh, it will be easily, it's an average like that. Wow. It could be easily, even sometimes it's, it can go up to 1,000 questions. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. I know it was so demanding. Okay. Because it touches pretty much everything, right? You know, it is not only, you know, uh, about pricing. It will also talk about, uh, you, you can imagine sometimes it becomes very fancy. You know, each tab is a department. You can ask about functional questions. They will ask about technical questions. They ask about security questions. They ask about implementation. So it, you can't get a clear view of asking one or two questions. You know, they, even for what, you know, can you solve? Can you connect? Can you integrate? What is your roadmap? This itself is a four question, right? You know, in, in product, imagine if, if you have five departments already, 20 questions already, right? Just four in each department or five each question and five, but with four questions, you can't evaluate a product. Typically, they will ask hundreds of questions even in the product itself and technology and service uh, and, and support and security. So you, you can extrapolate. Um, so, and in fact, it gets even uh, uh, complex when it comes to security questionnaires. You know, uh, there are standard questionnaires, especially if you say uh, uh, yes to a particular question, it opens up five more questions. There are three, you know, there are questions with more than 3,000 questions that companies have to respond. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. And, and although it is received by the sales team, it, it is not a one person job. It truly requires a village to complete an RFP in, in, in a real sense. So what we saw initially was we said we are going to solve this RFPs that are coming in Excel document because that's what we had a lot of experience in. You know, we said okay, when an RFP comes questionnaire comes in an Excel format, what typically happens is I'll, I'll give you a simple use case, right? You know, if you have three questions now, you you need to work with five departments. You upload it in Google Doc. And say, and you how you have to say to them, uh, the person on the you have to send them separate email, and there is always a deadline for an RFP. You can't, you know, if you miss tenders deadline or RFP deadline, you are disqualified, right? 
So there's a deadline, there's a project management element to it. That's a collaboration element to it. That's a content management element to it. So that's why people generally get confused. Okay, oh, why not we upload it in a Google Doc and whatnot? It's not that easy. Uh, we'll talk about that. But what, what we essentially said is, okay, when, when our customers receives an RFP questionnaire in Excel format, all they have to do is upload into our system. The system will be intelligent enough to parse it and divide that by different sections. And then each section can have its own deadline. And you can say, okay, this section is a financial section. It goes to my finance manager. This is about security. This goes to my security person. And I'll give them, the, you know, internally that's a workflow. So, okay, this is the person who writes the answer and his or her manager approves it. So that's a workflow to it. So it's all built in. So we, our problem or our, our, our solution is to solve repetitive work filling out this question because you are filling out but the benefit of assigning this work to uh, it even gets complex by the way when it comes to even excel it's okay imagine a word document okay if word document comes in and you have to break down by five different departments and you sending to one department email i'm just saying in an email if you send it okay this is this is about 50 questions goes to my product team this is 25 questions goes to my security team imagine if security team uses basic times in your own and the product team uses you know aerial bullet is one two three versus dot here as a response the sales have now received five different documents and goes a wire and said what what is what's happening now the most expensive resource in the company the sales rep have to combine that all into one document normalize it into same font you know everything should be in the same font bullet imagine how much of work that that person because you can't send this hotspot document to the customer you can't just uh, you know append it to the end and you can send it somebody has to manually comb through that make sure the font is correct so that is a big problem so when we launched our first version product we said okay when you upload a document it breaks it down into multiple pieces each piece can be assigned to someone but when they when that someone receives they're not receiving an email they're not receiving a word document they're receiving a link it's like taking a survey when you click on that link it takes you to a page where you will see the questions and you provide an answer okay the benefit for them is what happens is if you do it more than once more than twice system will learn from your historical that's you know again today we have a lot of lot of uh, you know news around ai even if you Google uh, response or RFPI in 2017, we, we said we were the first one to uh, launch the AI-powered uh, um, you know, RFP software back in 2016-17 timeframe. Basically, system learns from how you have historically responded to those questions and makes the recommendation. Okay, this could pass when you get a new RFP next time, system will say this could be possibly a best answer for it. And it has all the metadata to provide why this content is being recommended by the system so the users can make an informed decision and apply that so even before applying that you know we have we what we call it as an auto respond you can let the system to auto respond for you the salesperson can now click off a button can auto respond everything and then assign the work to them and that time the person who's getting their work assignment is no longer starting it from scratch they already have content they are now becoming reviewers instead of authors right so that is the problem that we are solving. We continue to solve. You know, our vision is much larger, and the product, the solve, the, the product or the problem that we solve today is much larger. 
but that's where we started. Okay, amazing. Um, it it seems to me that uh, it is a product which is copyable, and especially today with uh, you know, where generative AI is available on tap just through an API. Um, it seems like a product which is fairly easy to copy. Like you, you create a workflow and project management tool and then put in generative AI on it uh, and you can start selling it to enterprises. So, so you know, what's your vote here? And do you agree with uh, my assessment here that it seems like today it can be copied fairly cheaply, like maybe with half a million dollars or a million dollars someone can create a clone? See, I believe for that reason, anything can be, you know, especially when you are talking about uh, a cloud-based application, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, ways you can get insights and intel about a product. Um, but it also depends on, uh, um, you know, a few things that we have done. You know, if you look at it, uh, the way we have import the document uh, and the process document is patented by us. We have an active patent that we have, uh, you know, used it. And like you say, it is not just one, oh, we can do this. This is a combination of, you know, what we call it as a content management, a collaboration, a project management. You have to integrate with multiple sources and then you have to provide business intelligence, you know, on top of it, right? And you have to be providing business. And not only that, you know, again, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, let's assume you are trying to buy uh, something from, from my company. Um, so uh, I was able to demo my product to you and say Akshay says Akshay, uh, Akshay feels really comfortable saying, "Okay, Ganesh, your product really meets my needs. I'm I'm going to go for your product, uh, but um, I I'm not the decision maker. My manager is the decision maker, and I have to check with her to get this product approved or this, this budget approved. For that, I need few information like your product overview, your licensing." in your plans, your implementation plan, and three references I need to talk to, okay? So let's assume Akshay at XYZ sends it to Ganesh at abc.com in an email, nothing more. And I receive Ganesh receives the email. I open that email. There is no attachment. There is no RFP, okay? You are saying, okay, Ganesh, I'm not issuing an RFP. You are my vendor of choice, but I need this information. I open up that email. There are four bullets, okay? So product overview, implementation plan, license, and reference. Now, product overview, I'm a sales rep. I need to route that question to my product manager who can help me draft the content. Implementation goes to my customer success team. Reference goes to my RevOps team. Licensing, I can handle it. So already, even as simple as an email, I need to work with three different teams. If you have responsive, you don't need to send out that email. All you need is your mouse. Highlight bullet number one, right click, look up responsive for product overview because that product overview content went out the door as an RFP response last week for a different client, for a different salesperson. How can we democratize that content? We democratize that content in so many different ways. That is more important thing. So the last bullet, like I said, content management, collaboration, integration, project management, business intelligence, the most important thing is content accessibility. Yes, you can use you know generative AI stuff all all together, but all those are public information. We are talking about a corporate. Your product is only within your product manager. What is coming up in the roadmap, you will never be able to get it out of the public internet. It is already only in 
the the minds of your product managers or business analysts you need to work with them to get their information that is a unique problem that we solve it can't be solved with you know of course you know we use generative ai too you know, we are the first one to launch if you look at our uh, uh, thing we use our generative but we we use it in a very complementary way that sits on top of enterprise content the enterprise content is there in in a in a curated way then how do we finesse it how do we message it properly how do we use a proper tone how can we use a proper grammar how can we use a proper sentences you know is it readable that is where we use you know generative ai on top of the content so it it <clears throat> It's been eight years. Um, we have gone through this. Uh, uh, from an outside, uh, it may sound uh, a simple idea, but if you look deeper, the amount of collaboration, the amount of content moderations that happened, and the workflows that we have built in, um, is it, it's pretty significant. It's not an easily replicable, uh, replicatable uh, thing. That, that that's the reason why. That is the reason why we have. Uh, you know, um, if you take the Fortune hundred. That is world's top hundred companies. Twenty-five of them uses us. Twenty-five of Fortune hundred company uses responsive, and we have over two thousand customers worldwide. And these are not, you know, these are companies who are in the sales technologies in in that space of building technologies, right? They 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 themselves couldn't build it, uh, so. Um, uh, so it, it is Microsoft, you know, is the one of our customers. So yeah, Microsoft could have built it, but it is it is not that easy, um, uh, and that, we are not that focused for these companies uh, to build a solution uh, when when they have best in class solution available in the market. Uh, tell me about uh, you said that there are integrations. Uh, what what like tell me about the integrations? <clears throat> so. When, when when you talk about RFPs, right? RFPs are typically received by the sales. Okay, I'm trying to sell something. I I, I know I'm in the market, uh, and then I came to know this um, this bank is trying to buy a software, so they have issued an RFP. This RFP, though it comes in, but if you look at, I first thing I will do as a sales rep is I will create an opportunity in my CRM. So I will provide all the client information. Like I, you know, um, like I mentioned, it truly requires a village to complete an RFP, right? You know, so when somebody, when a product manager is trying to respond, they want to know the contact, who's the client, who, what is the deals, like what product are we pitching, all those things, those are already in Salesforce or your say CRM. So we integrate with CRM platform so that when you need that information, you can write the information, bring it in. And, you know, we integrate, you know, for example, I told you about, uh, you know, an email. So we have to integrate with your Gmail or Outlook. We have integration with Outlook. Or as simple as if you use Slack or Microsoft Teams or Hangout, you know, let's assume you and I work for the same company. You, you know, you are a sales rep and I'm a product manager and you are, you are pinging me on Slack channel. Then if I need a product overview, you know, a brief. Um, if you have responsive, all I can do is we have built a bot there. Forward slash responsive product overview click enter, the content will be on the Slack channel. You don't need to go into RFPI or responsive. I don't need to log into responsive. It's already in the medium that you and I are you know, communicating. Inside Slack, we integrated with multiple security system. We've integrated with in you know, a content management system like SharePoint, Google Docs, Box. 
So there are various. We have the. If, if, if what mistaken, what, what the is the reason to integrate with security systems? Oh, security system. You know, you you need to do with uh, your SSO. Uh, okay, uh, single sign-on. Okay, so that single sign-on or you know just frictionless uh, sign-on of users. Okay. Correct. Okay. And uh, the integration with Google Drive uh, and these uh, content uh, platforms is for like easy import of files and data. Easy import of files, or let's assume you you have you know the customer is asking for hey please provide your certificate of insurance. The certificate of insurance is in in Google Doc, and you are saying please find the uh, uh, please find the attached. Where is that attachment coming from? It could be coming. You, know, you can answer that in in responses. But the actual file, the supporting document, like in Google Doc, you pull that. We can pull that into that answer. So when you package it, when you finally prepare a final proposal package or an RFP pack with responses on the answers, this becomes a document that can be sent along with the package. So that's that's what we do. So the non-sales people, uh, the sales people would obviously log in and use uh, responsive uh, quite extensively because it's part of their job to win deals and to win deals they need to send out the RFP but the non-sales people like product or security or whatever finance HR uh, do they also like uh, typically log in and uh, give answers or do they just get a browser link which, where they fill out the answers and that's it and, and like how much of uh, management is expected from the non-sales people the beauty of that is the beauty of the system. So you 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 have to you know uh, it it benefits the organization if all the non salespeople are using the system more often than uh, uh, you 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 just described. Because I'll tell you what your the system is not only like I said we have multiple use cases, many use cases, right? So I as a product manager, let, let me tell you my example, what I faced and what we solved today. The sales rep comes in, you know, let's assume he comes in and asks, uh, hey, they are asking for this particular feature. As a product manager, I know the feature does not exist today. So my answer will be, this is in our roadmap and we will implement that in some time. Okay. Two months long. Two months down the line, a different sales rep comes with the same feature request and say, hey, they are asking. I can't copy and paste the previous answer because now I've implemented that. I have to change my answer, right? But imagine if they are not checking with me, if they are just only copy and pasting, they will be copy and pasting the roadmap. Yes, it's in roadmap, roadmap, roadmap. Whereas the actual product, you know, it's a big business risk. People are not giving the accurate information, right? But at the same time, the problem with that is, even if you are trying to approach me as a product manager, you are coming to me at the 11th hour. I am busy in doing my work. Now you're saying, hey, I have an RFP to be submitted tomorrow. So the problem there we found was, you know, one, it is the content is outdated. The second problem is if I need to get the latest in the latest content, you know, I'm approaching and pestering these subject matter experts at, at the very last minute and it becomes a, you know, bad employee experience, right? So the way we have solved it is in responsive, you don't need to wait until the RFP comes into the door. You can assign product managers, subject matter experts, or your license, or sorry, legal, your security team, part of the system, so they can have a workflow to maintain certain piece of content, irrespective of whether you have an RFP or not. 
it constantly asks for information. Hey, is this updated? Is this correct? So they have to validate this is accurate information. So when the, what I call it, the frontline teams, the frontline teams is sales team, your support team, your, your uh, marketing team, when they consume the content, they're rest assured, they're using the latest and greatest information and, and they're not pestering you or they don't give you a bad employee experience. It's all about keeping the content accurate. So the subject matter experts are more than happy to do it because they're not asking because what you can technically do in what we do is if I'm a product manager, if my, my release is, you know, on the November 30th, so I can have a workflow to ping me on, on, on December 3rd to say, this is the content updated. So I don't need to wait for the next RP to come in. Rather the product manager gets a ping on December 3rd and say, Hey, you know, is this accurate? looks like you had a release now. Or, or, you know, it can ping legal department and say, hey, is this accurate? It looks like you, you opened a new branch in, in, in Germany with a new jurisdiction. Hey, is this accurate? Last month, uh, uh, HR team, last month we said 500 employees. Are we 500 employees or 600 employees or 450 employees? The accurate information need to be given. So periodically that information need to be maintained. Again, it is not only for RFP, right? like I'm saying. It is for responding to an email. It is for you know solving a customer support ticket. So the information is consumed and used for many different cases. For that, the information needs to be kept up to date so that the frontline teams, I, I'll use this word, right? For the frontline teams, they, because even as a CEO, you have to respond to, I don't want my sellers to put any content they think is right because it becomes a liability, especially in RFP, because it is a legally binding document. Two months down the line, if my sales rep said, okay, we can support this, customer finds out that feature doesn't exist, it becomes a liability for me. So I don't want that to happen. I would rather have a product manager provide the accurate information. It could be email, especially coming from, you know, e-discovery, the, pre the previous world legal side, we are very careful in what electronically we share it doesn't matter that rp it could be email or it could be a simple chat it could be a slack message so you've got to be compliant for the frontline teams who are communicating their information to the outside world it could be the outside world could be a prospect your customer your investor your uh, regulatory bodies like sebi is asking some information you, you don't want to throw in some information so you've got to be so all these external third party external parties are constantly asking this company and information so, and we, not only sales rep is giving that information, it is, could be your marketing team, your investor relationship team, your compliance team. So all of them are communicating. For them to be compliant, okay, to communicating, it can, they can only be compliant when the backend teams like product team, security team, legal operations team are constantly governing the data. The governance happens behind the scene. The governance, they keep, keep governing the data so that the frontline teams are rest assured they are communicating the most compliant information. So I can get you know, that is, that's our pitch though. Responsive holds the most compliant information that can be shared with the outside world if you are using responsive. Does it make sense? Yeah, got it. Uh, who sets up the workflows? Like you said, I have a product release on November 30th, on 3rd December, I get a reminder. Is there something which I, the product manager, set up or the salesperson sets up? How is that workflow set up? Yeah, typically in an organization, there are there are admins, you know, uh, who manages responsive. They are like a project manager. They will, you know, sales, sales team may not know and they don't have time, all those things. So there is a content manager, typically, or, or a RevOps manager, or, you know, what, what they call it as a content uh, owner. 
so they they all that that person distributes the workload or you know uh, uh, what we call the moderation workflow sets up the, the workflow for moderation so there are different different uh, uh, companies do it differently but at the end of the day um, sometimes proposal managers proposal bid managers are the ones who are who are sitting on top of the content but they they are finessing the content but the raw content need to come from the product manager the proposal manager can can make it look good the tone could be better he or she can make that but the actual content need to come so the that person assigns the workload to the different subject matter experts and keeps the workflow uh, uh, on check okay got it so you know the more i understand the more uh, it seems that a good comparison would be salesforce um while you know there are a lot of crm tools but typically once a company invests in a crm then all its data is in that crm and it is very hard i mean crm is a very sticky product category it's hard to replace your crm because your data is there and you don't want to go through the pain of migrating it and so on uh, similarly once a company adopts responsive uh, the key mode for responsive is the data of the company resides there and it could be extremely hard right. for them to switch over to another tool uh, so so really uh, I mean, you know, the the speed at which you capture the market will determine how big you grow. Because once you capture a customer, it's unlikely that he will switch over. Correct. Especially that's one of the reasons why, like you like you said, we we hold the enterprise content and most important, a lot of content in the store. But the difference is we hold the most compliant information. It is coming from the the actual person. It is not like somebody is collecting the data and putting it and maintaining the database. It's part of the process. The product manager gets on the release date and the, and the legal team when they open up a new office. The HR team every every quarterly report or investor relationship team every time they announce the financial results, so they have to maintain it. So everybody are in the system, are you know, and then they are constantly governing the data so that it goes to the the the, the right folks. So uh, tell me the journey of RFPIO to responsive. Uh, essentially, what I understand is that you figured out that it's not just responding to an RFP for which you need this information. You need this information for uh, solving customer queries uh, as part of the customer service or uh, for regulatory compliance or uh, for investor decks. Uh, so tell me that journey, you know. You're absolutely right, uh, um, uh, Akshay. So when when we started off, um, you know, we were pretty laser focused on helping our customers to respond to RFPs. Period. That's and then what happened is over a period of time, like I said, when they start collecting that information, right? You know, when they're where uh, I'm responding, to, and I like say, said, system learns from the responses that you provide. What we noticed is customers started using the content that they curated into security questionnaires and then into due diligence questionnaires, into email. So this, this is the same content because anyways, you are, the companies are going through the pain of curating the content, making sure it is compliant, making sure the right language is used. Why only use it for, you know, an, you know, an RFP? Why can't we use it for when I communicate in an email to a prospect? Why can't the same content be used? Because it's anyways, it's legally binding, it is customer facing content. So over a period of time, what we realized, you know, in fact, very recently, last week we had our, um, uh, no, a couple of weeks before we had our uh, um, responsive summit, uh, where we invited, uh, you know, our uh, users to be part of a virtual conference. 
Um, during that process, uh, we also uh, surveyed our customers um, uh, to understand what are they using the product for. It shocking and surprisingly came, it is less than 50% and not even half of our customers are using it for RFPs. So there are other questionnaires like, you know, security questionnaires, um, you know, due diligence questionnaires. Recently, we are seeing a lot of, uh, you know, ESG questionnaires, you know, environmental, social and governance questionnaires uh, are coming. And even I'm surprisingly seeing, you know, people are using our technology to respond to grant. To when they apply for a grant, the, the customers, the, their grantor is asking some questions. So it's a lot of use cases. So if you look back then, the name RFPIO really resonated well and it still continues to resonate well. But what it, it also has limited us to think from an outsider perspective, it's only for RFP system. So the, the moment that we changed the responsive, I was telling my CMO, Michael Longren, um, I was bummed. Uh, there's not a, 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 a kind of revelation. Uh, whenever I said, oh, it makes sense. People almost, all, you know, even I'm sure you, you said the same thing. Oh, yeah, RFPIO. Now you know, I understand why response. It became like, oh, natural, um, you know, evolution, not a revolutionary change happened. It became like a natural evolution uh, in a good way. And I, I was pleasantly happy with that because it, you know, then it, again, when you when you drastically change something, right? You know, you have to spend a lot of uh, energy, time, money to re-educate the market. But uh, the fact that it became like almost like an evolution for us, uh, I was was very pleased. And you know, I would say uh, time and again, customers have said this: "You guys have selected the right name." And um, yeah, that's how uh, we transitioned uh, because of our our you know. Uh, you know, our, our customers using our product for many different use cases other than RFPs into responding. That's what, you know, um, if you look at this whole new category is, is being coined as SRM. What that means stands for is strategic response management. You're basically managing all your strategic responses. It could be RFP response. It could be DDQ response. It could be a grant response. It could be an email. So basically, responsive allows you to manage all your strategic responses in one place and we are noticing customers are adopting and in fact we recently you know uh, um, worked with uh, um, uh, a third party to provide what we call as an srm maturity report i'm sure you know some some of my team might have touched upon that the maturity report uh, you know uh, gave us a lot insight Basically, tell it, it gives a gave us an insight into if companies adopt SRM technologies like you know whether it is responsive or other from like if they are using it you know their odds of especially if they fully adopt they they odds of winning deals gets very high in fact it's about sixteen percent more than companies who use it but not as to the extent that it should be used if you are fully adopting it it gives you almost 16% more win rate or almost 35% more revenue compared to companies who are not utilizing the SRM platforms like that. So it's a huge difference, though it's it's in 16 and 35%. If you look at real numbers, it is huge. You know, another context, right? As a company, as a product, we calculate all the tenders and RFPs that are submitted through a platform when we aggregated the data, life to date, 
we have processed more than $400 billion worth of forest fees, or, or transaction. $400 billion. And it's only been a seven and a half uh, years the, into the 400 billion successful deals. Value of success. I would not say deals. successful. Do- or or uh, 400 billion successful is deals. value of proposal submitted. Deals that is okay. correct. So yeah. deals that has been processed in our in our uh, platform. Correct. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I understand obviously this is a very large uh, TAM or a large addressable market, uh, which uh, I guess, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it, it sounds like a mixture of uh, uh, luck and uh, like agility to, I mean, you, you stumbled upon RFP, which you probably initially would not have realized how large an opportunity it would uh, become. Uh, how did you... How did you build a culture which allowed you to be agile, to listen to customers and to evolve the product to really, you know, take advantage and be in the space where you are today? See, I'm a big believer of uh, um, organization cultures. Uh, um, actually, you know, I, I truly believe um, every company in the world has its own culture. Probably some someone has defined it in a, in a more... Uh, a documented way, but somebody who is not defined it. But I'm. It's like, I, 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 for me mentally, it is like a fingerprint. Every com, every human being has a unique fingerprint. Similarly, I'm, every company has a culture. Um, how soon you realize that, and how soon if it is good, bad, or ugly, you have to you know finesse it. Some of the things that we we noticed very early on, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, we do have a very defined cultural values, uh, you know, um, at responsive. Uh, I'll, I'll spend some minute on that. These are not like, you know, uh, these are not like, you know, a bunch of executives came inside a conference room. We all took our uh, uh, notepad and write some cool ideas and put it on the wall to become a cool idea. It's not like that at all. These are values, you know, we kind of formalized in 2019 uh, timeframe. Looking back, what was this company all about? 2016 to 19, what did we do for three years? What are the things that we cherished? What are the things that we felt really good about? What are the things that we valued? What are the things that kind of separated us? You know, if you if you walk into our office, you know, portal office, headquarters office, you know, it, it's all sorted. Uh, you know, we used to have this this thing called GT Triple D. Okay, it stands for Get the Damn Deal Done. Okay, that's how it started. We we initially we were very focused on getting the deal done. And 2019, when we kind of formalized it, we felt, okay, get the damn deal done, sounds little salesy, it's only for sales. So if you go to our website, it, it, you know, one of our values today is G-I-D, get it done. We don't like to slack things, we don't like to sit on things, we, we, we are so, like to a point, and I'll come to the agility in a minute, but we are so fast in the market to get, get things done. That's one. The second value, uh, actually, we have five values. I'll walk through a few things so that's easy for you. The second value is what we call as an S4. S4 stands for see something, say something. There are four S's in that. See something, say something. It came out of my original landing when I came to the US for the first time. From Coimbatore, I landed directly at Seattle Airport. And I was waiting for my connecting flight to Portland. I was there for almost three hours waiting for, I was roaming around the airport 
it was constantly on the speaker system that where people are saying, if you see an unattended bag, say, because maybe it's after a 9-11 incident, people, you know, TSA is very, very particular about if you see something, say something. It was, that's kind of caught onto me, my brain said, why only at the airport? It has to be at everywhere. We have to harness the power of human intelligence. We have to harness the power of human brain. So it's the value. So if you are part of responsive, you have the liberty to share it. The promise that we give to every employee is, again, we can't solve every problem at every employee. But as a corporate citizen, their responsibility, if they see something, it is not working or working, they have to say it. The person who received that information has every liberty to take action, not take action, but you have to say it. That's a see something, say something. Third value is what going to your point. B called as BAN. B-A-N. BAN stands for be agile and nimble. This actually came out of our customers. They said, we have never worked with a software provider who's so quick in launching features and being agile when we raise a ticket. They requested, please don't lose that uh, agility. And that became like part of us. We said, we are no matter how big we, we grow, we are, we are today almost um, uh, 550 employees. Uh, this is even, this is started when we are less than 100 employees. So we said, no matter how big we, we, we grow, we got to be agile and nimble. So that became be agile and nimble. But uh, just third, stating it doesn't make it real. How did you make it real? How did you make the agility yeah. uh, happen? I mean, just putting it down as a value doesn't make it real, right? Absolutely. No, I think it's not just post ideas. Those are things. If you look at how we operate, you know, in many different ways, uh, you know, a lot of companies do say they listen to customers, correct? You know, how they implement. You know, as a product manager, I have, I also have eight to 10 hours in my in my day to work on. And so maybe a, a one, two customer I will talk. So it's practically not possible to solve it by people, right? You know, for that reason, we have built a feature inside the product. You can submit an idea. We have over almost four lakh users in the system. So one user putting an idea, every four lakh user can see that idea and upvote on it, downvote on it. They can comment on it. So it be it became a source of roadmap item for our product team, and they act upon it so quickly. We take that too seriously. We say, even if you're not implementing an idea, we will say it to the customer. So that essentially what Microsoft, you know, Microsoft, it's ironic, Microsoft, when they selected us in 2018, they issued an RFP for an RFP software. Okay. <laughs> it was ironic, but we went through the RFP process and they finally, when they said one of the reasons kind of separated us from the rest of the crowd is how quick we were able to gather the requirement and build it and process it. Essentially, that you guys are crowdsourcing ideas and implementing on it and acting on it. That kind of separated that. That is part of our DNA, product DNA. Again, at the end of the day, this is this is run by a bunch of product managers. This company is, including myself. So we understood that agility and we process. Again, typical your agile process. We have all the scrum, but at at at, at the tactical level, how quickly we launch. I'm a firm believer of launch fast fail fast, learn fast. So we all believe that in that process. So we, we, we don't like to, you know, take months and months to do certain analysis. Just do it and learn it. 
again, with right set the right expectation. Don't don't uh, uh, create unrealistic expectation. Don't say we are the best. You know, when you are eventually trying to improvise your your idea. So setting the right expectation internally also, right? You know, your sales team should believe this is a product that is getting matured, so that they are not overselling something. Setting the expectation with the prospect, setting the expectation with the customer. Hey, this is alpha, beta, beta. You know that kind of separated us and it still continued to separate us. And you know, I'll talk about the fourth bullet, right? You know, we we have this thing called GBT, which stands for give back time. Every technology company, this is probably a perfect answer for your question. How are we implementing? Every, every company today, they're going to say we're automation creates efficiency. We are giving back time. Absolutely, we are doing the same thing. How can I take that to one level more, right? You know, we don't like to mess around people's time. I don't want my time to be wasted by anybody. It's only fair for my employees to think they should not waste my time. It could be your manager. It could be your your your, your subordinate. So the fact that I have the authority, I should not take somebody's time for granted. We insist so much. You know, I I if the meeting gets wrapped up early, they should wrap up early. Don't wait for it. Since the manager is asking, just for sake of hey, I can get together one on ones. If you don't need it, don't wait. Give back the time to employees. Give back the time to the prospect. Give back the time to the customers. Give back the time to the investors. Give back the time to you know your your uh, your partners. That's how we see things. Last but not the least, value we used to call this as DMC uh, C. Uh, and when we rebranded, we changed it to DOC D O C. DMC stands for don't mess with your customer okay don't mess with customer dmc that was and and when we rebranded we want to give a positive reinforcement rather than negative so we changed it to delight our customers became doc so our our pure essential reason is to delight our customers they are the ones who are keeping our lights on and we already know customers have thousands of problems to deal with and we should not become the thousand one problem to deal with so we have to be the most easiest company to work with we have to build features that our customers truly value and they get they get delighted to use it so that's our core mantra these are the five values gbt giving back time see something safe say something and get it down be agile and nimble delight our customers these are five things that kind of inbuilt i would be surprised if if any of my team members are not even calling it out i i am very pleased i've seen profound impact on company, how we have as a company performed with these things. And we still follow that pretty heavily. Got it, it gives you so many reasons, right? Giving back time or I see something, say something, at, at even at the intern level, it gives them a reason to escalate something. Hey, I've seen so many times, they'll say, in the spirit of S4, I'm saying something. Again, I'm not complaining. In They use this the word called, in the spirit of S4, I'm giving. In the spirit of giving back time, I don't need to have a meeting. So it saves so much of time. In the spirit of getting things done, I'll do it. Next time, you do it. In the spirit, you know, I, I've seen this thing coming all along every, you know, part of our company's day-to-day uh, uh, -day work. Amazing. For uh, the delight our customer part, you must have invested in uh, like a customer support, customer success team, like to make it real. Because again, you know, like to make those words real, you need to back it up with some sort of investments or processes. 
Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, that is one of the reasons if you look at, um, uh, again, these are not like just for the namesake or a poster idea. Um, um, sure, you, you, you track companies uh, on, um, you know, review platforms like uh, G2 Crowd, Capterra, Software Advice. If you look at our reviews, we have the most number of reviews and we have the most ratings as well. It doesn't, you know, these are not like, okay, we, we you know, these are not like manipulated reviews. These are genuine reviews, sometimes anonymous reviews. Sometimes we do get critical reviews as well. Hey, you guys have to improve the product. Absolutely, we take it to the heart. There is a reason why we are, I, I think it's mainly because, again, we don't like to call this other. This is pure, what I call it as a customer experience, you know, from end to end. It is not just customer success department. That's what most of the people think. It is only that department, support department's response. I don't think so that's the case. It is from... The day one, the customer goes to your website or the prospect goes to your website and looks up for you. From there to the journey, everything is important. The experience is much more important than just support, solving support. So I think that is what I separate. It is not just one department. It is the entire company's uh, focus to provide. That is why it is part of, it is not a departmental goal, DOC. It is a company goal. It's everybody. Legal department talking to customers should be polite. They, you know, our our, our uh, you know collection department who is talking to a customer who who kind of forgot to process the payment. Every experience matters. Actually, uh, it's not just customer success teams' role. Amazing. How do you evaluate how people are doing on these? Like, do you use some sort of a tool to uh, do that, or is it like you know? culturally ingrained and therefore you don't need a formal evaluation system we, we do it as a combination uh, you know we don't uh, we don't like to micromanage people in a way because again like again this is going back to uh, the core teams that respond right you know seven years or eight years before i was on the other side of the table as an employee i was listening to my company's uh, speech i was listening I had certain expectation from a manager. I had certain expectation from the CEO. Now that we are on the other side, it doesn't make us superhuman. It is the same Ganesh who was on the other side. Now that I have more visibility, I have more responsibility, but it is only fair for my employees to expect the same thing that I expected out of my manager, out of my company. So we do a combination of, we follow OKR at the department level with um, objective key results. And then in, in terms of the, we empower the managers to, to go to evaluate the performance in, in combination of that. Uh, so that's how we do, but we don't, we don't uh, go individually and, and micromanage people. That's not us. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, tell me about, uh, how you learned to do sales, uh, you know, in terms of acquiring, you said that 20% of fortune hundred companies are your customers. So, you know, what are some of the sales hacks which you've learned, especially when you're selling to such large enterprises? What works? What doesn't work? See, one, one, like I said, I had the privilege of being a sales rep myself, right? And I started off my career as a sales rep, you know, feet on I'm not, I'm not a technology guy. Um, uh, so I had a little bit of a fair understanding of uh, what a good sales team looked like. So the first and foremost thing is to have an amazing sales team who understands the product and who understands the problem that your company is solving. So in the initial days, you know, I, I, I think I almost closed 
20 or first 20 or 30 customers is brought by personally by me. We did not have the sales rep back then. So it gave me exposure, not with just sales, how to sell technology, you know, and then um, uh, one thing I would say, uh, actually, in the very early on process, um, again, going back to our value uh, of uh, get the damn deal done, right? You know, one of the, you know, uh, my mentors who's, who's no longer with us, uh, he passed away uh, a couple of years before, uh, he, he, he instilled two thoughts in my, my brain. One is time kills deals. You got to act fast. That is how get the damn deal done came into play, right? Time kills deals. The second one he said is compensation drives behavior. Most often, especially founder driven um, sales team gets this a little bit wrong. Because when you say compensation drive behavior, it is also the opposite. What behavior you wanted, you have to compensate for that. Most often the problem that I've seen is it will be contradicting. You want one behavior and your compensation structure will contradict that. It will be on the opposite. So it just kind of create this, uh, uh, you know, different uh, ways of thinking, it doesn't create a cohesive system because you want the sales sellers to to understand and uh, you know uh, be happy about uh, you know uh, doing something, and they have to be incentivized for that behavior, right? So very early on, we have done that. You know, when we were in 2017, our behavior that we wanted uh, actually at that time was acquiring logos. As long as they are paying customers. Our, at that time, our compensation for the sales team was purely on as long as they are paying customer, we will we will compensate you. We didn't care about how much how big the deal size was. We didn't care about any other things. As long as it's not free, they are paying. They are paying monthly. They are paying you know semi annually. So bring them in. We'll pay you instead. That drove beer. So in 2018, because I fundamentally saw the shift in 2018. We changed it to annual contract. We said, no, no, we no longer need, we have enough customers who can speak about us. So we changed the compensation structure to, to, to drive that behavior of bringing a yearly contract. So we stopped monthly, we stopped, you know, giving, you know, a large discounts, which an annual contract. And 2019, yeah, 2019, we said, we're changing the behavior to long-term contracts. You know, today we more than fifty percent of our contracts is minimum two or three year contracts, and especially when it comes to enterprise companies, we go for longer contracts. So that was one of, I would say, one of the early understanding that we were able to implement that properly, having an amazing sales team, and it is also important uh, uh, to, because end of the day, what I we realized uh, Akshay is early startups, early stage startups need to keep a positive momentum all the time every time you know unless if you, if you don't have a positive environment it spoils the morale it creates negativity it become it, it brings you down for that reason very early on the stage itself we celebrated everything especially on the sale because when the sales team is humming when the sales team is celebrating it it boils down to the entire company so we we found every reason to celebrate the success sales success that kind of helped us to retain even our, our still our first sales rep is there. 
Our VP of sales is our third sales rep who joined us as a, in a sales rep and is now a VP. Although we, we recently brought in our uh, first uh, chief revenue officer early on this year, but our uh, you know, VP of sales is, you know, we still have who, people who joined us in the early stages continue, you know, after seven, eight years. Sales thing they're talking about. These people have continued to be there. So that's, um, I would say this is one of the greatest, uh, you know, uh, ingredient that we had and I'm very proud of his retention of the team who understands the problem and and we, if I'm not mistaken we have in, in this whole proposal management phase you know I was talking to one of our senior most sales rep his definition he is the most tenured rep in this whole industry not just with our you know uh, responsive because he has been in this space for almost 25 years and he's with us for five years now so Imagine the brain power that we are getting. So we, when we speak to enterprise customer, we speak as subject matter expert. We speak as problem solvers. We speak, and customers understand when we speak, we are speaking the right thing, and we know what we are doing like that. So the customers appreciate and respects our view and the problem that we are solving and the solution that we are providing. The customers understand and appreciate. A lot of, a lot of times, customers have said, "Wow, can I use this product for this?" We have educated our customers more than you know. At this stage, you know, we have, like I said, we have many large enterprises. We have learned a lot. We are continuously learning, but we have also educated back, saying, "Hey, you can use this product." Especially in this given, you know, economic headwinds that we are seeing, people are expected to do more with less, and a product like Responsive helps them to achieve just that because you know especially when people are switching jobs when the content in their in their brain walks out the door with them and their employee leaves if you're not centralizing it you're risking the business your 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 the, the information is gone so how can we harness that information into one place and how can we leverage that how can we democratize it is it's a it's, a, it's not just one thing that we did uh worked out it's, it's the right team right problem that we're solving, right product that we gave to the market, right agility that we had. So all this in combination kind of worked us in, in our favor. Hmm. All right. Um, how do you structure your sales team? Because they are different activities, right? You'd need somebody who would do like more cold outbound prospecting and then somebody who would talk to the more qualified uh, leads and uh, then you would probably have like a client success team which would handle the onboarding after the contract is signed. Just help you understand how you structured the whole like customer facing teams. Yeah, so at, at, at the top level there are, there's what we call the GTM team um, and then there is, uh, that is uh, CMO and uh, uh, then we have uh, you know COO who manages what we call as uh, you know professional services and uh, customer um, success and support. Our CRO manages two different or three different teams. One is what called as a business development team who was basically, you know, uh, who does cold calling outbound. And, uh, you know, they work very closely with, uh, you know, account executive team whose primary role is to close deals on the new business side. There's a third team, which is called as an account management team who who goes and crosses and upsells with our existing customer base, who increases the license. So business we also have an ADR team, account development. So business development has two divisions, sales development and account development. 
Sales development works tightly with the new business team. Account development works tightly with the account management team. So that's how we structure. And under operations, we have a professional services team who also manages our onboarding. And we have a customer success team who is maintaining the, the ongoing relationship. So once onboarded by the onboarding team, they hand it off to the customer success team. The customer success team manage they are not cross-selling and upselling they are, they are adding value they are creating value they are solving problem for the customer they are, they're helping them to use the system more they train the customer all those things are happening in the customer success team and if there is any support like bugs all those things that goes to our customer support team so that's how our customer facing teams are uh, structured it sounds a little um so you know if uh... I am the customer success rep for a particular company. They would be most comfortable with me for everything, including upselling. Why have a separate account management team? And, you know, it, it, um, I mean, it sounds a little chaotic uh, with so many people looking at one account. But uh, true, we have, a, we have a very clear transition uh, thing. So the moment uh, the new business sales happens, when they, uh, so they, the new business team will hand it off to the onboarding person. So where the expectation is set, so the expectation is set or by the onboarding saying, hey, they are only for helping you to onboard, migrate your old content. Once that is done, they get introduced to customer success manager and account manager. So those are the two reps who maintain the relationship throughout the lifetime of the customer. So they're only, one post-sales process. But why have to, could you not have this one person doing this? Uh, or that Because we don't work. want our, no, we don't want our customer success team to, uh, again, compensation drives, yeah. compensation drives behavior. I want our customer success team to be a subject matter expert there for real success, not trying to sell constantly. Mm. We should not sell. That is, and their, their compensation is not drive, driven based on, uh, you know, anything like that it is purely based on retention mm, got it. so again compensation drive behavior right interesting yeah so you don't want to compensate customer success team with revenue targets uh, you want someone correct. else to chase the revenue targets got it okay very interesting Absolutely. Correct. and what does your go-to-market team do so go-to-market team is like doing the marketing like events and no uh, go-to-market team is you know it's a it, we are very clear go-to-market when we say go-to-market it is a combination of sales and marketing we have a cmo and cro Combination is what go-to-market team is. So <clears throat> our go-to-market, you know, when we call, talk about our CMOs organization, we're talking about demand gen, content, uh, uh, content marketing, events marketing, events, um, and that is pure, you know, uh, primarily the focus of product marketing, customer marketing. So we have uh, different departments uh, under CMO. So basically anything to do with marketing. Uh, what is customer marketing? Day. I mean, is it everything customer market? What is what does that mean? Oh, customer oh, yeah. marketing no, is marketing to existing customers, like about upselling. Okay. Correct. So when we launch a new product, new feature, they have to take it to the existing install base. So mm -hmm. they have to run a campaign that has been driven by uh, customer marketing. Okay. Okay. And uh, how does demand gen happen? Like through paid ads and in addition to events and content. We, we you know, we have paid we have organic seo things we have uh, um you know what we call it as an uh, you know ppc campaigns that we do so um and then of course like you said the events uh, we attend events uh, and um uh, we, we also conduct uh, 
you know, thought leaderships uh, that we do. Uh, so all, all those things in the combination. Okay. Uh, what's your learning about how to price a SaaS product? You must have gone through a journey of figuring out what is the right way to price it. Uh, just taking through that journey. You know, when you lost, how did you price it? And how is that matured to where you are today? Uh, in, in fact, we, we, I would say we got lucky. We did not do a lot of changes. You know, even today, it's the same price, but we are changing. <laughs> Eight years, we had the same model. But our, our model is very unique. You know, in a way, probably you've not heard about it most of the time because we are not... Uh, Typically, when you talk about SaaS products, you know, they charge you based on the number of seats that you have. Um, but, you know, we don't, um, we have not traditionally charged based on seats because we fundamentally believe, I think that thought worked out for us, right? You know, um, so, for example, when our customer hires a product manager or hires a security person, that person is not probably not directly contributing to the their revenue. They have, as part of the growing pain, they're filling those roles. And if I go in between and say, "Hey, you have a new product manager in this," and I, I, I don't, I, we never wanted to be part of a growing pain. Okay. On the flip side, if you are responding to RFPs, you are winning more deals. You are responding to more RFPs. You are bringing in revenue for your company. We want to be part of the revenue generation process, not part of a growing pain. So we structured our license based on volume of projects that you manage in the, in the platform, plus integrations, other, we have other means, but that's how we structured. We, we were very clear in being part of revenue and adding value. And customers did not have any heartburn or hesitation because when they are doing more, when they are asking more license, that means, that tells me they're adding more you know, um, RFP, adding more revenue. And if they're making more revenue, they're happy to share that with us. So that's how we structured that. So in the new model that we are implementing plan will be a combination of, uh, you know, uh, both. You know, we're trying to optimize it in a way customers don't feel it, uh, um, you know, uh, too burdensome. And uh, we also have an opportunity because the, the problem with that model is sometimes it, you, you are limited uh, uh, if if you are managing it, if the customer is managing the license properly, there is no upsell opportunity. You are limiting your upsell opportunity. So we are trying to balance the the opportunity for us to upsell and cross sell, plus providing revenue uh, or value for the customer. So we are optimizing that as we speak. Hmm. So you told me that fifty percent of uh, usage is RFPs only. So if you remain stuck within a RFP based pricing, like how many RFPs you're responding to. So you are the other 50% value you're providing free of cost in a way. So you want to. No, not, you know, that's why we, we don't call this an RFP. We call this project. Each one becomes a project. It doesn't matter what the project could be. It could be RFP, it could be security questionnaire, it could be data questionnaire, it could be a grant. Everything and anything that you process through the system for as, as a response, it becomes a project. So we, we license it based on the projects, not on RFPs. Okay. So if the marketing team needs some information about the product roadmap, uh, that will be counted as a project if, if they're pulling out that information for putting on the website or whatever, right? That becomes an integration. We have, we sell what we call, we have a product called Lookup. So that is a special product. That's what we are talking about. Accessing the content is different from running through a project like an RFP. So we have 
uh, yeah, project-based license plus connection. So if you want to look up the information on your email or if you want to look up the information on your Slack, that is that product is called lookup. You can look up that information. So that has been licensed separately as an add-on alongside with your original licensing structure. Ah, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. And what? give me some idea of what the pricing would be like. Uh... It depends on, like I said, it depends on the number of uh, pro uh, projects. Um, so, you know, you're at the minimum, you're looking at about uh, $15,000 at the maximum. It can go to a million dollars. So it depends on- $15,000 for uh, how many projects? Like Five projects. You will start with okay. five projects. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it, got it. So what is the way to increase your market further? Uh, I'm guessing right now, a company which is selling to businesses would only be looking at this software, right? But let's say a company like, say, Unilever. So Unilever is a pure consumer-facing company. They may not really have a need to respond to an RFP. Uh, they may not think about going in for an RFP software. They may, even though they would have other needs, you know, like the ESG and the regulatory need, yeah. but they may not think of looking for an RFP tool. So what is the way in which you can... Uh, capture that market as well like, like you know what are your thoughts on growing your addressable market the, that, that's the exact reason why we, we rebranded our you know company our messaging will be you know end of the day actually what we're trying to do um, even before to go you know the, the market is wide enough you know you know let even people who are responding to our every company you know you you you're at a, to an extent, you have to respond to an RFP. You know, even you talk about Unilever, I'm pretty sure if Unilever is trying to send all their product to a government agencies or, you know, they're trying to put it to a city, they have to respond to RFP. So the, the, the problem that we're solving is very unique. It's not like, uh, um, you know, it's not, there are a few companies may say, okay, it's not applicable for us, but, you know, the problem is very resonate, you know, resonating. But more than that, right, uh, when we rebranded the company, we also uh, take a hard look at the vision of the company. What are what are we trying to achieve? What is the big vision this, this company is having, right? It became very evident. What we're trying to do is along the lines of companies to share information. Basically, our vision is to empower organizations in and around the world, effectively share and exchange their information. A company is requesting information, a company is responding to information. So our mission is to create the world's most powerful information exchange platform. We want to become the de facto platform to share and exchange information. And our platform will be supporting that. So literally, you know, you talked about the RFP. So we do have an opportunity to help people who are requesting information. The sending out the questionnaire in, in, instead of sending it to an Excel document or a Word document, can we? They can with our with the product we we have in the market. They can issue the questionnaire, and if you're already as a responder on the platform, so basically we are trying to bring both sides of the spectrum onto the same platform. Our vision is to create or empower organization to information exchange, most easiest way, streamlining the process is what we are after. And I do think that that's uh, the be hack that we have. Mm, that sounds uh, yeah, pretty exciting as an opportunity. Is that a monetizable opportunity? Uh, like you have to get buyers on the platform because 
one approach could be to say that you offer it to buyers at a like free or very low cost because getting buyers on the platform gives you more uh, sellers. Like if a buyer sends an RFP through responsive, the seller will wonder, hey, what's this? And, you know, you, you have an opportunity to sell to him. So is that what you're looking at it as? Or is that a, like a monetizable opportunity which you're looking at? It's, it's a little early in, in that thought process right now, but we, you know, it, it could be that, uh, you know, there are different ways to, to look at things like that, right? And so um, it's a little early in this process, but, um, you know, uh, imagine a world, if you're trying to buy something today, you have to go through the painful, you know, procurement team handles the, 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 the purchase process, but procurement team probably are not the right people to ask the questions. They are depending on what should I even ask the vendor? If you're trying to sell a system, you're trying to buy an ERP system. They are depending on the business uses to provide the requirements. How on the responding side, the sellers are coordinating with multiple subject matter experts, the product managers and the subject security people to get the answers. Procurement team faces a very similar challenge in getting the questions. So we can facilitate gathering the questions in the most simplistic way between procurement team and the business users. More importantly, how with, the, with our artificial intelligence, how we are recommending answers based on your historical. Similarly, with our AI capability, we can let the business users draft initial set of questions that they want to ask the vendors. Otherwise, it feels like you're writing an exam. Oh, okay, now you have your primary job as a business user you're doing. Now you have to sit and draft a requirement I'm looking for. This. It kind of intrudes into your day-to-day -day job. So how can we empower them to ask the right question and provide them a set of questions? So that is where our mind is at today. So, so that we can help both sides in a very effective way. Mm, okay, that that sounds like a sizable opportunity, and there could even be an opportunity for you to help buyers to find the right vendors. Because once you understand what is important for a buyer, what weight is they're placing on which parameter, and you also know from your customer base who's the best fit for a buyer, then this could be a matchmaking yeah. opportunity there. Maybe eliminating the yeah, you're, you're, you're becoming an our product manager. Yes, absolutely. I think that's uh, you know it's, a, it's an absolutely you are absolutely right. That's an actual extension. Uh, but uh, again, first things first, we are trying to solve the responders problem really solid, and I think there's a big enough opportunity there. So we are focused on that. We're uh, on the you know essentially getting into eventually getting into the requesting side. Um, but again, um, especially in a SaaS, you. You, you can't have anything two or three years beyond things change so rapidly you know one year before nobody even thought about chat gpt today the you know, entire roadmap is kind of took for a ride because of this whole generative ai so we'll we'll see how that pans out but at least right now the our focus is to streamline the information exchange process as smooth as possible yeah right um i'm wondering if this is a concern or not i'm assuming that uh each customer's content trains your AI, right? Uh, which right. is then available to other customers that AI. No, uh, no. no. Each customer, each, no. We use each customer data to train their own recommendation engine. Each recommendation engine trains, gets trained based on that particular, and we don't cross pollinate between customers. But if, if, so say you're going to a buyer uh, and you're going to recommend questions to him. Where is that recommendation of questions coming from? 
Oh, we have multiple ways. We are going to allow the vendors to post questions, what they think they should be asking, and we can normalize that and provide that as part of the process. You know, instead of intruding into vendors' side and gather, we, you know, a lot of times, even today, uh, when the buyer is trying to buy something, it is a known fact that sometimes they ask the vendors, hey, do you have a sample RFP that you guys have received in the past so that we yes. can use it as a baseline item? It creates an awkward situation for the buyer to go to the vendor. So imagine a situation where the vendors upload in our um, in a platform and us as responsive normalize that to remove all the brand names and then make it more common. It removes that embarrassment from the buying side, now they are saying we got the set of questions from responsive, not from a vendor. Mm. And vendors so are anyway uploading way. questions on responsive, right? But I mean, any vendor who's a responsive customer is uploading every uh-huh. RFP. We, we don't do that today, but yeah. that's where we are heading towards. Right, right, right. Yeah. Got it, got it. Okay. So, what have been your own learnings in this journey of uh, building up responsive? One is building a company is not easy. You know, a truly a customer funded business is truly sets them apart from a lot of companies who try to raise ton of money or trying to raise money. You got to put yourself in a position where it is truly a customer funded business. That's one. And your personal problem is not universal problem you have to validate 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 you know though yes you have experience i face a challenge doesn't mean that customers are also facing we should not assume that the problem that we have is the same because you know even day version one of rfpio is completely different from in responsives today version so that and um, leverage your network's power how do you leverage your network? How do you, you know, leverage? So don't be shy. You, you can't be shy. Is it like the it, first it, it, 20 it, it, sales you did yourself, uh, that was through the yeah. power of your network. You and the fundraise, right. uh, the, the first investor was through your network. Correct. So that, you can't be shy asking for help. You, you can't, you can't run a company if you're, if you're, if you're shy on mingling with people, asking for help, networking people. So that is a hard shell that I have to broke. I'm, I, again, I'm not, I, I did not even have a Facebook account until 2015. Okay, so uh, I know, you know, so once I start, I, the, these things you, you got to develop. Um, and uh, creating um, an inclusive environment is very important, you know, where people feel they are a part of this process. It is not, okay, one or two persons company. It is it is part of this process. We are all in, in this, creating that that sportiveness, creating the culture. Again, uh, understanding this is not charity trust. Understand this is for a profit organization. You need that um, hunger, but it's also important to be humble. Now, help me understand when you say that you are a customer funded company, like how much have you raised till date? And uh, like, as of now, are you like, uh, you know, profitable, no need to raise further funds or? 
Yeah, we are truly a customer. We are we are funded by uh, a private equity firm called K1 out of LA. They are a minority holder in our business. Uh, um, but uh, I think know, your your last fundraise was 2018, which is like five more than five years back. Uh, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, 25 million. We, we raised over 25 million dollars. Um, but we also did a couple of acquisitions in 2021. And so uh, uh, we are not in the market to raise capital. We've been profitable uh, for a long time, and we continue to operate profitably. Wow. Uh, so uh, again, that's also one behavior uh, uh, we have uh, always wanted. We have to create uh, what we call as a sustainable business. It's always important for us to create a sustainable business. So that's what uh, my, um, I, I figured. Uh, you know, my my partners and we always think about how can we be sustainable and not be dependent. So today, no one customer holds more than one percentage of our revenue. So there's no dependency there, and there's no dependency in, in geolocation, and there's no dependency in, um, in, in the industry. Uh, what's the average contract value across all customers? Like I said, it, 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 it varies, you know, it depends on, we do, we don't go by across all segments. We have different segments, you know, SMB, you know, mid-market enterprise. So from 15,000 to 40,000 to from 150,000 to a million dollars. So difference. Uh, but but it's a good number to industry. understand uh, your pricing power, right? If you have one average across all customers. Close to about 50 to 75, $50,000 is probably, I would say. And have you crossed fifty million dollars ARR? Like, what kind of ARR? Yes. Right? Wow. We are, yeah. By when do you think you'll hit hundred million? Uh, we are on track probably in in the next eighteen to twenty four months. Wow! Amazing, amazing. So you ideally would be like a unicorn, right? I mean, you've not raised funds in the last five years, but if you were to, I mean. Hundred million dollar profitable SaaS business would be a unicorn, right? I mean, if you were to raise funds today, again, I'm not too much worried about that's not our focus. We don't, uh, you know, again, like our focus is creating a sustainable business, and our focus is to solve problems of customers. But I mean, like just purely as a speculative, uh, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, again, uh, we, we, again, even at the peak of 2021, and I'm sure you know, a lot of uh, companies done. We have also gotten. Uh, attractive walk. We we kind of pray we're pretty head down on creating a business like this. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.